This psalm has personal significance to me. Four short verses. Really a very short psalm. Uh, uh, but it has personal significance. And, it, and I have a lot to talk to you about tonight. Uh, and likely I'm not going to finish everything that I have here tonight that I want to talk about. And I happened to mention that to David back on Sunday. And uh, he said, well, you don't have to do it in just one lesson. So maybe we'll expand this beyond just the one lesson when, when the opportunity presents itself. But we'll do our best to cover quite a bit of the material tonight, and I'll be moving along pretty fast. So uh, bear with me, and I, I apologize for that. This, this song has a message that, that's just so extremely important uh, today. Uh, it, it's important to our culture and, and to our daily lives, but I, I believe it has an even greater significance relative to the church, and specifically relative to the fact that the church is in that culture or embedded in the culture that's around us, the world that's around us. I think the primary message of, our, of the little song is unity. Um, and certainly, I don't think anyone would argue with me tonight, our country desperately needs unity, doesn't it? Uh, there's, there's some bad things in our country and in our culture that are, are, are just so counterproductive and divisive and, and mean-spirited. And I don't understand it. I, you know, we didn't grow up, most of us did not grow up in a country like we, we see today. And, and uh, so what does that mean to us? Well, we need to have our guard up because the world is going to try to creep in and try to come into the church and influence us. And we're looking around and we're seeing all of this. And so we, we need to step back and think about that. And this song facilitates that. Uh, more than ever, we need unity. More than ever, we need unity in the church. And so that's kind of where the focus is going to go. What I want to do is first, let's, uh, let's sing the song together. Number 395. Blessed be the tie that binds. So sing along with me. We'll sing all four verses. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Bye. 
love to sing that song. And I want to tell you why. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. Just a little background to the song. It was written in 1772 by John Fawcett. And as I did my research, it said the music was composed by Wendell Kimbrough, but I don't, you probably didn't notice, but there was a different gentleman listed up there on the, the paperless hymnal song that was up there. And I, I don't know where the cross-up was. I didn't have time to research that, so not real sure exactly who wrote the music. But John Fawcett wrote the words. John Fawcett was a minister who worked for a little congregation near Waynesgate, England. And that's in the... Uh, uh, real old part of England. Uh, that was a, the county that it's in is Concord, I believe, is the name of it, and it's a very old area of, the, of, of that country. And he was the minister for this little small congregation in that little community. He had an opportunity to become the minister of a of a larger congregation in London, and so he was enticed and he accepted that offer. But as the time progressed, and it it became time for that. Uh, for him to make the move to that congregation, it was pulling on his heart. And his congregation was asking him not, you know, to go, to stay. They, they loved him. They were endeared to him. And when it came the day for the move to happen, he just said, I can't do it. And he, and he stayed. And he stayed there for the rest of his, of his life as, I, I, as, as it's been recorded uh, at that same, same congregation. And so a little later on... Um, he, he used that experience around that to write the words of the song. So that's a little bit of the background to the song. But I want to I I talk about it from a personal standpoint. I grew up in the church. And uh, of course, those, there's some of you who of course did as well. And, and we know hymns uh, that we've sung all our lives. That's kind of how we say it. You know, we know them by heart because we've sung them so many times. And you know, sometimes we just kind of categorize them. Uh, we think of some songs, for instance, as uh, prayer songs, songs before the prayer, uh, or worship songs, or uh, songs that we might think are appropriate before the Lord's Supper, uh, or uh, invitation songs, songs that we think we ought to lead at the end of a sermon, you know. Not necessarily that we have to, but it just seems it seems to fit. In closing songs, songs that seem to fit, you know, at the close of a service or something like that, and so on and so forth. Nothing wrong with that. Not suggesting that there is. I personally have often thought of this particular song as a closing song, and I guess it's because it has in the lyrics there a part that says, "When we asunder part." And it speaks of our love and, and us being bound together, and it's a good message to take out the door, you know, as you're leaving the service. Um, but it, it certainly would be an appropriate song for a variety of studies and reasons. For instance, love, as we're going to talk about a little later tonight, uh, love in particular. Uh, it's a short song, like I mentioned before, and there's a ton there uh, to develop a study from. Uh, and like I said, I thank David, I thank the elders for the opportunity to be up here and be part of the summer series, and, but more specifically to talk about this specific song. It's one of my favorite songs, um, so far as the melody and the words, but it has a very special personal meaning to me. And uh, I'd like to, to give you a little bit of that background tonight. And, and you'll see, I'll bring it around full circle, so just, just bear with me, be patient with me, please, uh, as, as I'll kind of go through this. Um, 
I believe that all of us, uh, most of us anyway, has someone in our lives that is or was significant to us and in some sort of way was an influence on us, uh, uh, something along that line. It may have been a parent, it may have been a grandparent, uh, another family member, uh, maybe a close friend or something like that. Someone that was significant to us. In my case, there's been four. There's been four significant people in my life that I think of like that. Uh, Two of them are still with us. Two of them have gone on into eternity. And one of those who uh, is not with us anymore is my grandmother on my mother's side. Um, Her name was Virgie Newton, but all of us grandkids called her Grandma. She was Grandma. That was it. And that's how we addressed her. And, and she, other people picked that name up too. She, she was a faithful member of the Lord's Church and she raised her family like that. Had six kids. And all six of them were faithful. Uh, some of them have passed on now too. There's two still living. Uh, but they've, they've died. The ones that died were faithful members of the Lord's Church. How, how more successful can you be? What, what could you more ask you know, uh, in this world? And, and I, I know you understand that. As a young lady growing up in uh, up near uh, Spurgis, Mississippi, uh, when it came time to learn to drive, they put her behind the wheel of a car, you know, for that first experience. Uh, but it didn't have a very good ending. Uh, unfortunately, she wrecked the car. And uh, my uncles tell me that, that from that point on, she refused to drive again. She never learned to drive. And... Um, so she either walked everywhere she went or she rode the city bus uh, or maybe somebody drove her, a family member or whatever. And they lived over in Tuscumbia. My mother was born in Tuscumbia. And as a young girl, they lived right behind Helen Keller's birthplace in that area right there. My mother used to climb the fence and go over there and play around in Helen Keller's house. You know, it was all grown up and wasn't taken care of at that time. Uh, and at some point, the family made the decision to move to Sheffield, uh, and at some point in time, they bought a house on East 13th Avenue, and they attended the Annapolis Avenue congregation there in Sheffield. Uh, and then after my mom married, uh, they too lived in Sheffield, and, and that was where I was born. And we lived in a house that was just a block or two up from my grandmother's house. Uh, and the street that we lived on, that 13th Avenue, that house, my grandmother's house, those are my very, very earliest memories uh, in life. You know, you can think back to that point in your life. Uh, and my mother also told me that during this time that uh, her and my dad were really struggling financially. Yeah. But of course, I, I, I was very young, and, and this time I'm speaking of is my earliest memories, and you know, I certainly wasn't old enough to reason things out or even to know the difference in things as just a young child. Uh, but I had very bad tonsils, and so I was very sick all the time uh, and was a very small little child. Um, and I so, suppose due to the circumstances my mother was working, and, and so what they would do is they would leave me with my grandmother, and, and she would take care of me. And that's just a, a precious thing to me. I can't... I can't tell you that. I could uh, enough of that. I could speak about it all night. She took care of me, and and I was very young. But it, the the memories are there. They're vivid. 
and, and I have stories I could tell you, just treasured memories that you know I'm, I'm not ever going to forget. And, and it was a, bre- a blessing and a, and a privilege uh, that that happened to me. And I happened to think uh, when I was thinking about this lesson, I don't remember the other cousins being around. I think I might have been you know, kind of fortunate uh, in, in that I got to spend a lot of time with her that maybe some, some of the others uh, didn't get to. She was a special lady, and, and, and as you can see, I, I, I dearly loved her, um, and everyone else did too. She was down to earth, just plain down to earth, and uh, she had no airs about her. Uh, she just, uh, just was just a genuine person, and, and you know that type. You know what I'm speaking of there. My grandfather was alive during this time. But he wasn't there. Um, they had separated some years before, and my grandmother raised six kids on welfare. And the little bit she could make uh, doing, doing other things, as I'll talk about. My bra- grandfather had some extremely serious health conditions, particularly intestinal. And the doctor that was attending to him prescribed morphine to him, and he became addicted to morphine. And so he was in and out of institutions. And at a point in time, uh, my grandmother had all she could take, and she didn't. It was time for him to get out of the the uh, institution. She didn't go get him. He left him there. And he, he finally showed up at the house, and she wouldn't let him in. She said, "No, you're not coming in." To complicate it a little bit, also he had a job in a in a uh, company that cut marble monuments and tombstones, and he didn't protect himself, so he breathed that marble dust. And he had a lot of intest- uh, respiratory issues along with everything else. And so here was my grandmother all alone uh, with six kids, no means to support herself or her kids, and. One of my uncles, who was the youngest of the six, has told me that had it not been for the help of the Annapolis Avenue congregation, he that they couldn't have made it. They, he said, we could not have stayed together at, as a family unit. You know, a, a mother, six kids, no income, they go on welfare. And from what has been told to me, it's very apparent that the, the Annapolis Avenue folks knew this family was going to need some help. So at some point in time, my grandmother started doing the custodial work for the congregation. I can remember going to the church building with her as a little tot, and there was a little kitchen down in the basement, and there looked like what were thousands of glass communion cups. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It, just a mountain of them. I was just a little fella. It, you know, and she would wash them all one by one by one and dry them and all. It's quite a job, as, as you can remember in those days. Um, and so that provided a little bit of income to them. And, and then the ladies of the congregation hired my grandmother to do their, their laundry and ironing. They didn't have to do that, but they did. 
and she had one of these old ringer style washing machines and I, I remember in the house there'd be all these cast iron irons sitting around and they had a pot belly stove and she would heat, it, heat that up on you'd heat them up on the stove and swap them out as she was as she was doing her work um, and so at some point the house that they were living in needed a roof and so one Saturday, all the men of the congregation showed up with all the material and put a roof on the house. And then as the kids got older, they all, they all worked and they all supported the family. Uh, my uncle said he started, the youngest one said he started to work when he was 13 to help support the family. And then a little later, one of the members of the Annapolis Avenue congregation paid for the three youngest kids to go to Mars Hill. And, you know, it was not going to happen other than it happened that, that way right there. In the mid-60s, the same uncle graduated from Auburn um, and um, moved to Huntsville and took a job over on the arsenal working for contractors. And then once he got himself established, he, he moved my grandmother in with him and he, he took care of her until she passed away in 1992. And at that time, uh, my uncle had started working with NASA in Houston, so she was living down in Houston. This uncle also, sidebar to this, was a mentor and a, and a role model for me, and he's one of those other significant people. So what does this have to do with our lesson tonight? You're probably tired of me talking about it at this, this point. Well, at my grand, grandmother's funeral, we had congregational singing, and we sang, Blessed be the tie that minds. It was her favorite hymn. And my uncle said she sang it as she went about doing all her work. And to me, it was just another song. But when we sang it at her funeral, all of a sudden it meant something to It was no longer just a selection I made as a song leader. I think the words had such significance to her she was in an extremely hard, tough place with no resources. But what did her brothers in Christ do? What did her brothers and sisters do? They shared her walls. They took on her burdens. Her burdens became mutual burdens with them. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. You know, something else impresses me too. They didn't just give her money. They could have, I'm sure. But they didn't just do that. They, they gave her the opportunity to earn it. And, and in so doing, they, they gave her her dignity. And I think I can 
safely say the Annapolis Avenue congregation loved my grandmother and her family. You know, uh, love is the thread that weaves us together. You know, our, our country is facing perilous times uh, and, and it's, it's become fashionable and acceptable to attack people, attack groups of people, people who do not have the same morals as this group or the same convictions or the same principles and particularly Christians the church, Christianity, the Bible, God, are all under attack. And that includes you and I. And I, I'm, I just fear that if we don't remember that we are to love one another, these evil things that we're talking about out there in the world are going to creep into the church. They're going to get into the church. And so it's just, it's just so imperative that as, as Christians that we maybe focus our personal studies on that and that we also do this, that we have you know, classes where we, where we talk about that sort of thing. So we can't allow those things to happen. We have to love one another. We have to have unity. And we have to be bound together in that love. So if I say that, well, how do you do that? How do you love one another? Well, um, we first understand that Jesus commanded us to love each other. John thirteen thirty four, The new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. And that's not the only place that, that commandment's given. Here's, here's 11 examples right here, 11 verses or passages, you know, that, that have the same message to us, that, the same command to us. Loving others is not something that we can just pass over and choose not to do. It, it's one of the greatest commandments, and, and I suggest to you that it's at the core of Christianity. But, but how do we do it? How do we do that? Well, I suggest to you, if you were to do a word study uh, on love, that, that you would learn that biblical love is mostly action. And so now the question begins, what, what actions demonstrate love? If that's what we're to do, if we're to love one another. Well, thankfully God didn't uh, uh, just make it a mystery to us or leave it up to guesswork. He told us, on the contrary, He left us a detailed guide with particular ways that we can love one another as He loves us. There was an article in our bulletin back on June the 27th that was sourced from the, uh, the bulletin digest. It was written by Jeremy Tucker. I don't, I don't know Jeremy. Uh, or where, where he, he maybe preaches or or any of his background, the title was, We Need Each Other. We Need Each Other. And Brother Tucker uh, wrote this, and I want to read it to you. This, I, want to, I want to read it exactly like he wrote it. There is an undelible and universal truth that pertains to the church, and that is, we need each other. We need each other. 
And he refers in his, in his, in his article to 1 Corinthians 12 uh, and talks about how Paul is addressing the struggle of the Corinthians there, that the, particularly the ones that you know were having these feelings of supremacy over other members. They were, they were, there was quite a conflict there over that. Some of the, the Corinthians possessed uh, spiritual gifts and some of them possessed the more desirable uh, 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 coveted spiritual gifts. And, and consequently, those individuals seem to be thinking of themselves a little bit more than, than, than they should have been. And, and so uh, what Paul did then was uh, he, he pointed out in chapter 12 how they are to depend on one another. No matter what those gifts were, no matter whether they were the more coveted gifts or not, or the less desirable gifts or whatever, or the abilities or the possessions, that, that they were to depend on other, other, each other. And, and what he did to illustrate that is he used the parts of the body to, to illustrate that. And it reminds me of Chris uh, a couple, few weeks back on Sunday morning came in. I think Chris, I don't remember, love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, let's just, let's just share a few thoughts. Let's take maybe sections of the, those passages there and just sort of look into them and think about them, make a few comments about them. I'm going to move along a little quickly. I may have to skip over a few because I want to save three or four minutes at the end here for something that I want to show to you. Um, we love others by encouraging them. Or encouraging them. In, in verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. The New English Version words it differently. It says love is patient. Love is kind. You love others by encouraging them. And when you encourage someone, you give, you give them courage. You give them support. You give them hope. Uh, you, you help them go through their trials. And, and you keep them move, moving forward. And we know how that makes you feel when you get that word of encouragement, when you need it. You have the ability to do that. A word of encouragement can make such a vast difference in the lives of people and you know what? You have an unlimited supply of it to give away. You can do that. Jesus exemplified that so many times. You know, we could quote so many scriptures, and I'm going to just, I've got so many scriptures, we don't have time to read them. Uh, John 14, 1, John 14, 27, John 16, 33. But you know, he still encourages us today, uh, and he wants us to comfort others as well. First uh, Thessalonians 4.18 Therefore comfort, comfort one another with these words. First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And there's other passages I could read. Hebrews 3.13 Hebrews 10.24-25 So, we love each other by encouraging each other. We also love each other by praying for one another. Again, back to verse 4. Love does not envy. Well, let's think about that in terms of prayer. We show love to one another by not envying them, but thinking about their needs and praying for them. We pray for others. We pray for friends, but we also pray for our enemies. 
And, and, and when we lift others before God, it shows what we think about them. It shows that we care about their needs. Uh, and, and we want the best for that, for that person. And certainly, the greatest example we have is Jesus Christ when He walked on the earth. What did He do? He regularly prayed for others. Uh, John chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus prayed uh, before His crucifixion. And, and uh, I've, I mentioned, I think I taught that when we were studying John in the, in the adult class, uh, that it's what, what I consider to be the Lord's Prayer, is John 17. But in that, in that prayer, um, He prayed for His disciples, and then He prayed for all believers. So uh, Jesus prayed for His enemies. When He was hanging on the cross, He prayed for the ones who were crucifying Him. And that's the example for us to follow. James 5.16, The fer- effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails no much. We also show love for, for others by acting humbly toward them. Uh, again, back to verse 4 of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. And again, the New English Version words it this way. It does not boast. It is not proud. Uh, loving others means that, that we're putting uh, them above ourselves. Um, you may have heard the, the definition of humility that, that C.S. Lewis had. Uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You act humbly toward others by, you know, by listening to them, uh, not blaming them for mistakes, particularly not blaming them for your mistakes, uh, accepting their critique or their reproach, uh, accepting their help, uh, considering them, showing interest in them, not thinking or acting like you are better than, than them or more important than them. And certainly, who's the greatest example we have again is Jesus Christ who humbled Himself to come to earth to take on the form of a man and then to die on the cross for our sins. He was humbled toward His earthly parents also. And He never exalted Himself. He he listened to others' concerns and he, and he always thought of them. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians 5.21, Philippians 2.3, 1 uh, uh, Peter 5.5 5, uh, you know, are, are also passages that, that you know, we, we should look at in that, in that regard. We love each other by being hospitable to each other. Certainly we, we understand that, I think definition of hospitality is the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. You, you love like Christ when you don't discriminate, but accept everyone, regardless of what their, their situation is or their background is. You know, you welcome anyone of a different race. Uh, you don't care about their political views or their ideology. You treat them with kindness. You treat them with respect. And again, what's the greatest example we have? Jesus Christ. Jesus welcomed everyone. He played with children. He valued women. He interacted with Samaritans. Um, He had dinner with tax collectors. Um, He touched lepers. He didn't discriminate. It didn't stop him. And He still welcomes everyone today. 
few passages, Romans 12.10, Romans 15.7, 1 Peter 4.9 are, are great passages that support what, what I'm talking about here. We love each other by serving each other. Uh, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. The New English Version, again, words it this way, uh, it is not self-serving. To love others is to serve them and not self. We love others when we do things for them without expecting anything in return. Things that we may not like to do or may put us at an inconvenience or may cost us. We still do it. There is no love without service. And what did Jesus say that He came to do? He came to serve. Mark 10, uh, 45. And He fulfilled that. How, how did He fulfill that? Through many miracles that He performed. He ministered to the sick. He, he uh, allowed Himself to be interrupted numerous times. Uh, he showed His most significant act of love, though, in, in service when He went to the cross and, and He died for us. A few passages, John 13 and 14, verse 14. Galatians 5:13, 1 Peter 4:10. I wish I had time to read these, but you know we're gonna we're gonna be squeezed here for time, so I'm, I'm moving along. We love each other by living at peace with one another. Verse 5, 1 Corinthians 13. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked thinks no evil. And again, the, the New English trans, translation reads this way. Uh, it is not easily angered or resentful. We, we love each other by living at peace with them. And how, how do we do that? We, we can live at peace by, by not saying hateful things. Uh, making derogatory comments or hateful comments to people or speeches toward them or not looking for their trouble or trying to provoke them. And, and when offense arises, what do we do? We don't uh, lash back, but rather uh, we seek to make peace by either apologizing or forgiving. You know, and, and look again at the example that we speak of. Jesus Christ, He lived at peace with everyone. He didn't provoke others. Nor did He Himself get provoked. Although He was probably, we would think, justified to do that, but He didn't. He didn't look for fights or quarrels. And when the, you know, when the Pharisees tested Him, He answered them, and sometimes He was strong, but He always answered them in love. Some passages, Romans 12.16, Romans 15.5, Mark 9.50. Galatians uh, 5.26, let me read that one. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Ephesians 4.2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. We also show love with forgiveness. Love keeps no records of wrongs. And when we genuinely 
love others, we forgive them, and when we forgive them, we forget. We let go of their offenses. We choose not to remember them and not to hold them and hold it against them. Um, Jesus always forgave. And, and it, don't, it doesn't matter what they did. He, he forgave those who loved Him as well as those who didn't love Him. And one of the last things He did before dying was forgiving the very ones that were crucifying Him there, there on the cross. And He still gives us forgiveness today. Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3.13 and 1 Thessalonians 5.15 are some passages you know, along this line. If we love each other, we do not talk badly uh, to one another. We kind of already touched on this a little bit by saying that we live at peace with one another. 1 Corinthians 13.6 does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. That's what love does. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.15 reads, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So complaining and speaking ill of others and insulting them and gossiping about them does not show we love them. It's the opposite. Um, that the opposite leads to to conflict and to quarrels and even to hate. Uh, and, and so you can always love others by always speaking well of them and always being seasoned. Uh, with your speech about about them and doing it with, with love and grace and looking again to the example of Jesus Christ as He said it for us. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't complain about others who treated Him unjustly, nor did He insult them, lash out at them. He didn't speak ill of them. A few passages to go along with this, John 6.43, James 4.11, and James 5.9. We speak truth to others in love. Again, back to verse 6 of chapter 13. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Telling painful truths to one another is an act of love. I'll say that again. Telling painful truth to one another is an act of love. We're hesitant to do that, aren't we? When others are in error or in sin, we don't let them persist in it for fear of offending them. We have to tell them. We have to tell them the truth. And we show love that way. We show love by correcting them gently and privately with kindness and with grace and building them up with the truth and and not tearing them down. And uh, Certainly Jesus was a great example of that. He never lied. He never shied away from though from telling those painful truths and getting to the, the point of the matter, whatever that, that might be. He called the, the Pharisees hypocrites. He rebuked His disciples when they misbehaved in Matthew 16. Um, and it, you know, people even abandoned Jesus because of His hard sayings. But nevertheless, Jesus always told the truth because... It sets us free because and because He loves us. Uh, several passages, Ephesians 4.15 and 4.25 and 3.9. We bear each other's burdens. Coming back full circle to my 
somewhat long story about my family starting out. We share each other's woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13 bears, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You can show love to others by taking on what is weighing them down. Doing that reduces the load that they have to bear. And it helps them through those trials. And you can do that by a lot of ways. You can do that by being there, just like Job's friends were there for him, just to be a shoulder to cry on. Jesus bore the burdens of others and still does it today. And He bore the heaviest weight of all, and that was sin. And took it on, and he took on our punishment. You know, he bears our troubles and our worries, and he gives us peace and he gives us rest. Galatians six two reads this: Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I want to show you something. Coming back around to my family, I don't know how well this is going to come through. Uh, remember, you go get your pictures developed. And they had had dates on them. I don't know if you can see it, but. The date, oh, it's not going to show on that screen. The date on the side there is September 1959. That was my grandmother's birthday. This is at her house. And I saw this picture for the first time. I thought, wow, those ladies dressed pretty strange back in 1959, didn't they? But what this is, is the group of Annapolis Avenue sisters. And they showed up at my grandmother's house on her birthday. And they knew... She wasn't going to be dressed up. So rather than them coming dressed up in their nice clothes, they had a kind of a, they had a word for it. I can't remember what it was. It was, wasn't dressed down, but they had some sort of cute name for the party. And you can see how they were dressed. You know, that lady's not quite matched up. She's got on knee socks and some big plaid skirt. Um, here they are all kind of grouped together. And one more. And right there in the middle, you barely can see her, is my grandmother. The point being, they loved her. And they thought about it. And they didn't show up and put her in a bad place. But they wanted to show her love. And so they, they thought about it and they came up with something that they could do. She probably wasn't going to have much of a, of, a, of a birthday. I mean, I'm sure some of the family was there. As a matter of fact, I see some of the family in the pictures. But, but um, I just thought it was special. I thought it made the point uh, of how we share our burdens, our mutual woes. So I'll close like this. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. whole lot more to talk about and say. Come on, come on in. Uh, and, and hopefully we'll get an opportunity to do that. We'll have time to do that. We'll get an opportunity to do that and expand on it. There's a whole lot more to be gleaned out of blessed be the tie that binds than what I've touched on tonight. So we'll end there for a few minutes. Take a few minutes. Probably.